Thank you, Jordan, for that great word. Good morning again, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. We continue in a series called Displace on the book of James. Our scripture today comes from James 4, verses 1 through 8. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend on what you get with pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealousy longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposed the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So Jesus, we pray over these words right now that you would open us up, that we would receive your revelation to grow as people following after your heart. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, Our message today is called Draw Near, based on James 4, 8. Draw Near. Again, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. We have so much gratitude for the women in this church, aunts and mothers and moms and daughters and young women and married and single. Today is an affirmation that God loves women. So Happy Mother's Day. We're so grateful for so many of you. Um, As we jump into the message today, James, it's our practical theologian to a church that's been disrupted. Um, This is where we've been in the series. Remember Raul kicked us off talking about the foundations of the book. And then message two was all about kind of the instructions and that your life is meant to become what you believe, that we do the word. Message three, remember I told that Uncle Brent story that faith works like this, like let's work. And then message four last week was about words of life, that our language matters. Today, we're talking about drawing near to God. Drawing near, which is just this center point, verse 8 of James 4. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And in this age where there is division and strife and we have questions about how we move ahead as God's people, James' encouragement to his readers then and readers now is that the pursuit of God will equal the peace of God and the provisions of intimacy with him. It's, it's about the pursuit And so if we want peace, if we want the provisions, we'll need to pursue him. We'll need to draw near. I was raised near the church, but it wasn't until a young life camp before I turned 18 that I really felt like I understood this word of pursuit. And the speaker laid in the camp of this camp I'd been to. He was saying, some of you have been fighting with other believers. And some of you have been trying to figure out if God can help you with a gift of a particular idea of how you might want to spend your life. But if you're hungry and you pursue God, he'll draw near, near to you. And you know what? Like, I made a decision a month before I turned 18 to, to draw near to just put my life before the Lord. And I'm telling you, my, my life changed. The Spirit fell on me. I've never been the same. It's true. If you draw near to God, He always draws near to you. And as your pastor, I long for each and every one of you in this church to, to draw near, not just as a past isolated decision, but as a continual ongoing pursuit of seeking after the heart of God and to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Draw near, says James. It's the order of first importance and all else will come into focus later. 
And so may we as a church draw near this wild and unpredictable and free God who just longs to fill his people. That's our big idea today, that as we draw near, draw near God, as we pursue him, that, that, that God will bring us together as his people in intimacy. So let's start our first, our first point here, draw near, because we're all on the same side. It's no newsflash that there's been fights between uh, Jesus followers forever. Um, James is asking questions at the beginning of James 4 about like kind of getting into some of what's going on with the people. And he's, he's wrestling with these people and he's like, hey, why is it like this? He asks in verse 1 of chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He's using the rhetorical device. Don't they come from desires that battle within you? A second question, you desire but you do not have and so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want and so you quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask but when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, now verse 11, or judges against them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So this is James 4, verses 1 through 4 and then 11, where he's like saying, like, hey, stop judging each other as people pursuing God. James has kind of moved from this core foundation that faith works like this, and then there's this power of tongue and encouragement that will lead to a wise life of peacekeeping. And then today, he's talking to his believers, and he's like, stop it. Stop fighting between yourself. You're missing the point. It feels like an important teaching to James then, and important certainly for us now. Well, what's the problem? James is writing to address this real problem in his church that they're facing. He's saying there's battles, this Greek word polemos, and then mache, this Greek word which means war and strife. So he's like, there is war going on between us and we cannot ignore it any longer. Church, we have to stop going to war with each other. We have to change. James like, it's, it's an issue with your heart. You're praying for the wrong things. You're aligning more with culture than God. Like, get right and stop killing each other. Some days I think, oh, it's never been harder for the church to find unity, but it's really not a new problem. I mean, listen to this. A Jewish philosopher named Spinoza once said, I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all humans, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display such hatred that rather than the virtues which they profess is the readiest criteria of their faith. When was this comment made? It was in the 17th century. So there's always been this element in our faith where we can start fighting more about the issues than how we're pursuing God together. We're aligned as followers by the presence of Christ. C.S. Lewis says, do not waste time bothering to love your neighbor. Act as if you do, and you will presently come to love them. We are neighbors in faith. We are part of a body and loving each other helps us realize our own tendency to sin against others. Listen to what Frederick Beekner said. This is a quote I came, I just want to share with you. He says, sin sprouts as banana trees on the Nile whenever with others is to, our desire is to diminish them rather than to enlarge them. There is no neutral corner in the human encounter. 
No antiseptic arena where nobody else is hurt, where nobody else knows about it. You either make people a little better or you leave them a little worse. You define your faith and moral posture in the ordinary stuff of your daily routine. The kingdom belongs to those as artless as children who love others simply and directly without thinking about untying but them. The promise of the unsung folks who lend others a hand when they're falling, that's the only work that matters in the end. Do you love that? Like this is what it's about. Not uniformity with other believers that will never disagree, but a unity in the faith. That we are seeking God as the first order and that's what the church has existed to do. And as we're looking to God together, God says, now you are my people together. That's what we have our identity forged in. Not our alignment on specific issues in which we're tackling, but in who God says we are as his people. Or as Beekner says, to remember, you leave people a little better or a little worse. So draw near to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop judging. The next thing that James says here is super important. Draw near because each day is a gift. I'm going to jump to the end of James 4. And what James is saying is the future is a gift. We must create it well. L- listen to the end of James 4, starting verse 13. Now listen to those who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. We'll jump here at the end because I want to spend some time in the middle of the passage to close. But we, we draw near because life is precious. James asked this potent and powerful question in, in, in this piece at this end of the passage to, to ask us to consider our ultimate purposes as God's people. He says, what is your life? You think back to that scene from Dead Poet Society where Robin Williams leaning in over his high school students looking at the class photos from decades past and he's whispering, seize the day, boys. It's like James in chapter four saying, what is your life, church? What is your life? What gives it meaning? Draw near the source of meaning that is God. And he's teaching his church members that as much as division and warring between them was just kind of a waste of time, so was a fixation on the, pre- on the future and missing our present tense that God has placed us in. James is saying, both are a waste. James is, is going deeper. He's like, I want your obedience for today what God is calling you to. We spend so much of our life wondering what God wants us to do next. And God says, I have grace sufficient for this day. Will you receive it with open hands? Will you love the people I bring you into contact with? Will you live today's purpose before fixating on what's next? Most of the time, Church, I believe God is not wondering what we'll do then. He knows. He's hoping what we could do now is be present to him. And we all struggle with this, this preponderance to fixate on what's next. And COVID has exacerbated it at some level, made it irrelevant at other levels. This message from the end of James 4 is really important. Draw near to God today because life has no guarantees 
And any day beyond the one we're living in is a gift. You talk to those who are in the midst of grief or have suffered a terrible loss. It's, it's vanity and foolishness to believe that you'll live forever or nothing bad will ever happen or that even you have control. It just isn't true. James is like, it's, it's foolishness. And he's wishing for us as disciples that, that we would make our day-to-day life sacred. It harkens back to Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. There is an evil in everything that happens under the sun. Solomon said this too in Ecclesiastes, my wife's favorite book. It's like life is short, so live it well. And instead of moving towards nihilism or depression because life is somehow meaningless, Solomon's like, no, life is meaningful when you have the day that you've been given and you see it with passion and you see it with purpose. Listen to these words from Ecclesiastes. Go eat your word with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. God has approved what you do. Is that good? Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. These practical words from Solomon. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might today. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. That's Ecclesiastes 9 verses 7 through 10. Eat your food and be merry. Live today. And the work of the Christian disciple is to fight back on a desire to control the future and invite God's power to live for Jesus today. It's why we're working as a church around racial reconciliation and showing the next generation that the church is working for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in word and deed today. And because life is short and because it's AAPI Heritage Month and because Solomon said to eat your food with gladness, the leaders of our church's Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation, especially Tom Parks, I want to give him a shout out, have championed an event that's coming next Friday night. Like, well, this Friday night. It's called the Dinner Date with History. And church, you're invited to join us for an evening of food and history Friday night, May 14th, as we learn from the owners of Phnom Penh Noodle House. It's a cooking class that you're going to take online and also learn about the history of the Wing Luke Museum right here in Seattle. Friday night, a cooking class, a history lesson, engaging in racial education. Here's the catch. You have to register by tonight, Sunday night if you're watching. So if you want to join up, sign up or email Pastor Raul. It's kind of a leap from, uh, how do we get from Ecclesiastes to dinner date with history? It's just, we're working for both a better future, but trying to do it today. Let's eat good food. Let's be engaged in racial reconciliation. Let's live life well now. Draw near. And then finally, this third word, draw near, because he will draw near to us. We're going to go to the middle of James 4. Draw near, because he will draw near to us. Now, from the middle of James 4, where James writes, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why Scripture said God opposed the proud and shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 
So much in this text makes me feel challenged and brings me to life. I'm challenged by this word about friendship with the world. Like, aren't we meant to love the world? The Greek word there with friendship is philia. It means love. And so James is asking a heart question. Like he's asking the church, where is your first allegiance? Yes, be a good neighbor. Yes, make great friends with those outside the faith. But James is saying at the end of the day, does your heart belong to the Lord? And as we keep hearing about in James, it's not simply believing things. It's acting this out as disciples who are drawing near as God's people. Come near. It's this Greek word, agizio. It's the same verb shared in both sides of, of James 4 eight. Draw near to you, and he'll draw near to you. If you want the life that's really life, says James, then go after God with hunger and humility. Because how we draw near matters. We're, we're meant to draw near with humble hearts, in repentance, which is a very big Christian word, which means you come to God with humility, saying, Lord, remake me, please. I want to experience you again. That's what repentance means. And so James gives some ideas of like, how do we draw near to God in this text? He says we're meant to be submissive to God. We're meant to purify ourselves to God. We're meant to be humble. And at times we're meant to grieve and mourn and wail. Lament is necessary if we've been missing the pursuit of God. And then James promises when you step out in pursuit of God, he will always welcome you home with open arms. The pursuit becomes the provision we need in these difficult times because God longs to fill us up. He longs to be connected as his holy people. And see, right relationship with God will become right relationship with one another because we're connected together as we're following God. Like, that's where our unity comes from. Listen to Isaiah 29. You will call on me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. This is what defines us as the people of God, a people who draw near to a God who always draws near to us. It's our purpose. It is. And so I want to end our message today with just a story. In the, in the old days, it's a bit of a fable, but there was groups of people who lived by the sea. And keeping people alive was central to their identity. Whenever people got stranded in rough water, no matter the danger, these folks by the sea, they always went out. They always saved people. And they formed these rescue societies. And the rescue society was, was forged because in perilous times, they were going to come and save you. And then the people would come in from the rescue society and they would eat and be sheltered and then they would go back out. And these villagers found that out on the sea, their differences seemed smaller because they were alive with the identity of keeping others alive. They had, they had purpose. And the more they went to sea with the purpose of keeping people alive, they felt, they felt alive. This rescue society had a real purpose for good in the world. And in time, these rescue society dinners got better And their spaces back on shore got fancier. And going out to sea wasn't quite as important as the stuff happening back in the club. These rescue societies, legend has it, both in England and in Australia, became the foundations for what we know today as yacht clubs. Known certainly much more for their pomp and circumstance of their gatherings at shore than a purpose necessarily at sea. Why do I tell you this? This is a story to remind God's people 
God's great rescue society. That our purpose, our sole purpose, friends, exists to draw near to God. And then the promise spoken back over us is that we will be found by him, always received by him. And so as much as we engage issues and conversation, we can find ourselves in seasons of disunity and, and, and fracture when we miss our core purpose. James was saying then 2,000 years ago to his church, and I'm saying today to you, my church, draw near with humble hearts, and the Lord of the universe wants to know you and shower you with an abundance of love and grace and mercy. And as you get busy with pursuing him, may we have a community of those pursuing God together, drawing near together. Like this is the kind of rescue society I long to form here in North King and South Snohomish County for his glory and his purpose. So may it be so. And as you, church, are doing so well on your journey, may you be encouraged to draw near. Because God loves you. He wants to spend time with you. It's been hard during COVID and virtual church, and we get it. Keep drawing near. And if there are wars and factions as a church, may we put those secondarily to what is our number one purpose, drawing near to God together. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this, this word, this encouraging word about drawing near. And God, we just pray that you would take this time right now as we're closing in this worship service to fill us with your presence, to, 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 to wake us up, God, from this virtual screen or wherever we're listening, God, that however we're encountering this message, would, you, would we just pause right now, God, and would we hear your voice speaking to us? God, would you give us a nudge, a nod, a confirmation in our spirit of a step that we could take towards you in the week ahead to to humble ourselves as your holy people in repentance? Would we return to you, God, in specific ways? Maybe for some this week, God, you're going to just wake them up a bit early and encourage them to open their Bible instead of Facebook. Or Lord maybe, Lord, maybe you want to see some reconciliation happen between some people in our church that have been kind of warring with one another and missing the call to pursue you together. Lord, give us a, give us a, little, a little step that we could take. And then, God, would you remind us as we step towards you that you are the God that always draws near to us and that you always receive us and you always come for us You always will be found by us. But we love you. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.